Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die this, God will bring them. And if you're able physically this morning, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. After some days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they stayed there many days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, there's a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews presented their case and asked for a judgment against him. I answered them that it's not the Roman custom to give any man up before the accused confronts the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to give a defense concerning the charges. Therefore, when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day, I sat at the judge's bench and ordered the man to be brought in. Concerning him, the accusers stood up, brought no charges of the sort that I was expecting. Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claims that's alive. Since I was at a loss and a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wished to go to Jerusalem and be tried there concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, he replied. Father, thank you for this privilege we have to be here today on this beautiful Lord's Day, this Sabbath day. God, we're so thankful for your word and the promise that it will not return void, but will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. Father, I pray your spirit would give us the spiritual ears, the eyes to see, and the hearts, Lord, receptive to the truth of the gospel this morning. Ones online today, God, I pray that they will passionately and powerfully hear the gospel all over the globe in fellowships and assemblies all over the world. Pray that likewise, ones would come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I pray, Lord, that you'd hide me behind the cross this morning, God, so you alone may speak as only you can. And we commit this and ask all of this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 13 and 14 again, after some days passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea, paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they stayed there many days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying there's a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And the first thing that I want to share with you comes out of those two, two verses this morning. It is this, God will bring an audience that we could have never imagined. Now to understand a little bit, because it can get a little bit confusing if you don't if you don't pay close attention to it. You've got a governor and you've got a king. This is just two. A governor and a king. What is the likelihood that Paul would have been able to assemble even just a governor and a king at one sitting to ultimately present the gospel to? It's not going to happen, is it? You're not because there, not only was he traveling. But you have these two people that are way too busy to be sitting around listening to Paul's defense of his faith, him not having these connections and all of the things that were required to get an audience like that in one sitting. That is the neat part about God. God can do anything. 
why are these audiences of such sorts as we've seen, again, it's like Groundhog Day, over and over, all these people from all these backgrounds, people from bottom, from paupers to kings, how in the world does this happen? It doesn't happen in the human context, church. It happens under divine leadership of the power of God and the call of God on Paul's life. As Paul is faithfully submitting himself to God's call, God literally is in essence going this way, young man. As he walked through that door, this way, young man. Paul didn't do what would be so easy to do, just like Joseph could have done as Joseph sold by his brothers for no reason in the world but their jealousy. What had, what had Joseph done? He didn't do anything. He did what God, he honored God. And as a matter of fact, a time when you see a little bit of refreshment getting ready to happen, first time in Potiphar's house, he has this trashy wife that then accuses him of something he did not do. And it's like every single time there's this chance for reprieve because Joseph, let me just tell my story, you could think he would be thinking. No. It's like God shut the door, God shut the door, God shut the door. I'll tell you why. Because God had a plan. God had a purpose. The purpose was so much bigger than man, any man, most notably Joseph himself, could have begun to imagine. Now, if you were spiritually wise, let's say, if you remember the dream he had as a child, is this is, was the root of the bitterness that his brothers began to have for him. Because Joseph has this dream that the brothers are bowing down to him. Yeah, right? Let your brother come tell you that and see how that plays out, right? Anybody in here going to go, oh, brother, that sounds great. I can't wait to do that. No, there's going to be this sense of jealousy because you've got to wait a second. I'm not bowing down to you. You're the person that I used to beat up when I was younger. What are you talking about? Or we used to fight. You know how siblings are, that sibling rivalry. See, God had a divine call on Joseph's life, and the reason was to do what? Save God's people. Not only was God going to use Joseph to lead God's people to Egypt, but guess what happens 400 years later? God raises up Moses to lead them out. God knows what's going on. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Church, this is what I really want you to grasp in the foundation of what we've been learning throughout this entire study. I think we're at 81 weeks in the book of Acts. Come on, can, doesn't this get old sometime? No, it doesn't because we need the reiteration and the reminder that God's got it under control. I'll tell you, even myself, I need this reminder daily. We're getting it once a week in a study here, but we need this reminder daily because in the fog of life, it's so hard to trust sometimes that God has a plan or a purpose. And it can be when the enemy is coming in trying to say, where's your God now? He's left you. He's abandoned you. He doesn't care about you. And you have to rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and remind him, when you try to tell me that I've got no future, I know where my future's at. It's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remind him of his future. What, what did Jesus do? He conquered hell and death so that we would not have to pay our own sin debt. And one day, we're going to be eternally reunited in God's presence as followers of Christ. We have an awesome future ahead. But what he wants to do is try to lie to us 
and say, no one loves you, no one cares about you, God has not been faithful, and we have to continually re reiterate the truths of God's word and be reminded of these truths. It is so important because God will bring this audience that we could never imagine into our lives in ways we can't begin to imagine, and it might just be one person that God lets you minister to one day that you don't even think about. Let's say in a Sunday school class, you decided to teach class one year, and you're all tore up because you feel so ill-equipped and you're in that classroom with, let's say, the little ones, you know, the littler ones, and you're like, God, did they even get anything? Well, you don't have to say that because God's the one responsible for burning his word on their hearts as you faithfully proclaim the truth as God has led you to do. Amen? So imagine one day if you're one of those people that was that Sunday school teacher of someone like Jonathan Edwards, Adoniram Judson, or Billy Graham, when he was little, was in church. He ended up being a rebel for a while, didn't he? But guess what? Through a bunch of prayer and a bunch of ministry, and got all of these ones throughout history who've had praying people who had ones in their lives that were faithful. Could you imagine if you only influenced one like many of these people throughout history that have done, think about Annie Armstrong, the missionary. And I mean, there's, I could, the list goes on and on and on. But there were people in their lives that were instrumental in leading them in the things of Christ, the things of eternity that mattered, the love of Jesus. And as a result, these people did things that could never have been imagined for the glory of God and the power of God as God led them. Don't ever think, well, I'm just doing this and nobody can use me. I remember when I was sitting at home, and this was about year three of being in the wheelchair after all the surgeries, and remember, this is gonna be my reality. And I remember one day, I had begun to call people. And I would talk to them on the phone, and I would encourage them. And I would ask people, hey, do you know anybody needs encouraged? And they would give me a phone number, and I would get on my phone, and I'd, just, I'd call them up, and hey, I'm Jonathan, you don't know me. I just want to you know, talk to you. I want to pray with you. I've heard you're having a difficult time right now. But what I realized was, ready? The more that I focused on others, the less my back hurt, the less I focused on me. So I started focusing on others more. Because what I realized was Satan wanted me to sit at the house and just imagine or envision what I had lost. You know what I did? I wasn't going to let that be the case because I realized that I had Jesus. I had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and I didn't need anything else. All I did was the power, the purpose, and the plan of God was all that my life needed that's all that I needed to know here because it didn't matter. And I said, I'll never forget. It was about a four, four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't remember what day of the week it was. But I'd looked. The sun was kind of starting to go down. I looked over and I said, God, if I stay in this wheelchair the rest of my life, I'm going to love you, honor you, glorify you, and serve you with everything that I have in me. But it was a mind space that we all have to get into because everybody has problems here. I, could, I promise you, we could go one by one in here. Some people, you'd probably be astounded at the things that they're dealing with that you'd have no clue right now they're dealing with or facing. And a lot of times we can think, well, see, I wish my life was like them. And that person sitting there going, if people only knew. But what the enemy does is he tries to write the narrative into something that's a lie. He tries to redefine the scenario. And though it's not true, a lot of times we buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. We'll think, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, 
I'm worthless right now, and I, there's, my life is over, and I'm, you know, I've got this mess that I made, or, or such and such, and I got this husband that's no count, this wife, my children, and blah, blah, and he tries to define the narrative and, and sell us a lie, but the question becomes, are we going to buy it? See, he's not responsible for dictating or telling us who we are and what we are and where we're supposed to do. See, God will bring an audience, if we're faithful, that we could never imagine. And it might just be that one little one that you or I minister to that ends up changing the world for Christ, going all over the globe for 50 years like Billy Graham did or whoever else you can think of. And they end up, God, using you in a powerful and mighty way as the enemy is saying to you as you're in the midst of whatever the training period or the place that you end up ministering to shortly before, you're going, I'll never be able to do anything for the Lord because I don't have an audience. All you've got to do is be faithful in the audience that God's given you, and I promise you, God will use you in ways you could never imagine. And this is what we're seeing with Paul. Do you think Paul was sitting back going, how can I, what can I say that would make them bring in the most powerful people? No, God had that under control. All he had to do was walk through the doors that God opened up, trust God, and rest in God's... Remember now, Paul was well aware that he was going to die. That's what I said last week, remember? When I said, now, Paul is embracing death. The only thing he doesn't want it is he's saying, Lord, I desire to depart, which is by far much greater, but I realize that I'm, I'm paraphrasing. God, you have work for me right now. He was ready to roll. He was ready to go be with the Lord. And see, that's the thing with us. We can tend to become a little dangerously fatalistic when we go, well, God, I'm just ready to finish the work that you have for me so I can die. Well, we want to complete that work. We don't want to have a fatalistic desire to, death, desire to die. It should be a desire to finish the work that God's given us and then go home. Amen? That's that desire that we should have as followers of Christ but listen to verses 18 through 21 again. So then concerning him, the accuser stood up, brought no charge of sort I was expecting. Instead, they had disagreements with, about their own religion, about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claims is alive. Since I was at a loss in this dispute over such things, I asked if he wished to go to Jerusalem and be tried there concerning the matters. When Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Second thing I want to share with you this morning is this. God will argue our case and fight our battles for us. God will argue your case. God will fight your battles for you if we don't try to fight them on our own. If we do, we'll make a mess. And God will step back until we decide to let him fight for us. What has God wanted from time and, and the beginning of eternity? God has merely wanted to be the king of our lives. With the Israelites, what did God desire for them? To have an earthly king? No, we know this. We've studied this relentlessly time and time again. God wanted the Israelites to say, you're all I need. We look at the Israelites going in through the 40-year period in the desert of sin, by the way. They call it the desert of sin as God leads them out of Egypt. You've got a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You have manna falling every single day on the ground. Everything that you needed, their, their shoes didn't and their clothes didn't wear out. And you can find yourself like myself going, that's all I need to see. God, you do that and I'll know you're real. 
And that's what people, you know what I'm talking about? No, you wouldn't. You would not. By the way, you have something the Israelites never dreamed of. That is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that is the affirming truth of God, His Word, His plan, His passion, His character, and everything that dwells within us as a Christian. You have the convicting power of the Spirit, so you know the moment you begin to think about something you shouldn't, that inside that says don't do that. We have God's comforter that was promised in the New Covenant. We know this at the beginning of Acts when God allowed through Pentecost the giving of the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to have God and God's truth affirmed in our hearts as we read it, the Holy Spirit affirms it to our hearts. So we think that, oh, if I saw, God, you can take the Holy Spirit from me. Just let me see a burning bush. No, trust me, you wouldn't want it. But it's an easy thought to have. If I only saw the things that they saw, it'd be so much easier. No, because we see the, the results of what happened in Scripture during that period, don't we? And it was not good. Look at Aaron. How long had Moses been gone? The next thing you know, he's making a golden calf. And then he's not even man enough to own up to it. Whenever Abraham, or, uh, Moses comes back down off of Mount Sinai, sees it, or sorry, Abraham, I'm losing my stories right now. I might be, sorry, excuse me, it's my ADD on me. But when you see him come off of Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, what do we learn? What does what uh, Aaron tell him? What ha how'd this happen? I, they wanted to calf. I put the gold there, and out come the calf. Can't even own up to his actions. Remember, it'd be different for us, wouldn't it? Because you just experienced God parting the Red Seas. You've experienced God's supernatural provision through food, and then they start complaining about manna. Right? God gave him some. Oh, you're going to eat it till it comes out of your ears, basically. The doves, remember. You want me? Oh, I'll give you meat. But that's the, the battle with the human side of us. We tend to get complacent, to get apathetic. And you know, it's, it's like at times we wake up and go, God, what have you done for me lately? And I'll promise you, if the only thing that God ever did for us was done in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, God owes us nothing else. He owes us nothing else. Who in the world would send their son to die in the place of a sinner that deserved the wrath of God. And not only who would send their son to die in place of someone who deserved to die, but not only that, prepares an eternity in his presence, the very ones that through their very nature had rejected him. It is a love that I cannot begin to understand and I'm so thankful this morning, though the comprehension of it is so hard to understand the love of God, it does not change it one bit. This morning, God loves you as much as he could ever love you. Even if you've had a bad week, and let's say that you've not been in your word and you've just been struggling and you've had a difficult week, I want you to know right now, listen to me, God loves you with a love that you'll never understand. He loves you on your best day. When you've done everything, when you've been in God's word and you feel like God is sitting right in front of you, he can't love you no more then 
then he loves you on your worst day. And I want you to remember that because sometimes when the fog of life gets dense, when the storms of life get intense, we have that ability to listen to the liar. Just like these liars were coming out of the woodwork for Paul, saying all of these things. By the way, each and every time, there was no proof of them. We see that with every single story. There was all these competing narratives, and none of them lined up together. They were all lies. All Paul had to do was just be still and know that God was God, and God is faithful, was faithful with him, and God is faithful for us this morning, church, like no one could ever imagine. And, and I just truly appreciate the application in this. God will argue our case. God will fight our battles for us. That is a truth today that we've got to be comfortable with because did you see uh, anybody been following the case in the UK about the woman who was praying silently? No, no lips moving. She was about a block away from an abortion clinic going, she's just praying silently. So the, the bobbies, you know, the, the police there came up to her and said, you know, uh, do you happen to be praying? She said, I could be. They arrested her. She went to jail. This has been in the case for like two years. They were going to, I mean, this is a, a citable offense. They ended up absolving her this week and apologizing to her. But if anybody uh, knows anything about a book that was written, it's, uh, if I remember correctly, it's uh, Orwell's 1984. The thought, you know, you're, you can be charged for your thoughts. You know, when we laugh at that, you know, this could never be. As, you know, you read that, you're like, oh, that'd be a scary time. And that's it's happening in places. You've got to remember this, as I had shared to the many people who apologized to me after COVID happened, saying that you know, when I would say, you don't understand the taking for granted this ability we have to assemble. Don't you believe in a moment it could be taken away? And people would tell me, they'd laugh on the way home. Yeah, closed church. Yeah, right. Not in this country. And then you see what happened and how easily things can be upended and uprooted in life that we know become extremely difficult. You know, right now, I don't know where you're at, but things are difficult right now financially if you shop for food. Anybody around here buy food? Anybody around here starting to go, wait a minute, I remember what that used to cost and how can it be that expensive? It's not getting cheaper. It's like every week it continues to get, and not only that, the portion sizes we're getting smaller. Well, it's one thing if, you know, you and your husband are going because, you know, that can equal maybe $100 a month more, you know. You know, you can absorb something like that, but you've got to think for families that are bigger, you don't realize the magnitude of each person compounds that much more. I'm not even talking, I'm talking about Christian. Imagine someone who doesn't have a church body, isn't involved in a church ran in this week to somebody who is completely homeless and who's in school, nursing school, has a full-time job, don't have a house. They're homeless right now. You bet, well, I mean, you just need to go find one. Go find a nice, affordable rental in Bedford County. I, I, I challenge you to. Go find one. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's cheaper to buy than rent. Go find one. Go find one in this county. Find me an affordable place to live in this county. It's difficult. So I say this right now because 
If Christ has not been your everything, I would challenge you to get serious about that being your reality now. Because I, I just, and I'm not a, I'm not a pessimist. I'm, a, I'm what's called a realist, right? If you have $10, I don't say, well, I have $1,000 and we'll just will it into being. No, God's going to take care of us. God's going to provide. But I think things are going to get uncomfortable. Now, why do I like that fact? It does wonders for your walk with Christ. The harder the pressures of life are, the closer your walk with Christ becomes. Because we recognize our desperate need for him. What do we know about countries all over the world right now that Christianity is illegal? It is amazing how it is exploding in those nations. They know that they have no other hope but Christ. America has been running from that hope, and maybe this is a God's tool with which he is going to create an amazing revival in this nation. I don't know what his plan is, but I want to encourage you to get in love with Jesus and to delight yourself in him like never before because God's going to argue your case. He's going to fight your battle for you. God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. Amen? Does that mean that you're going to be eating like you eat at a five-star hotel and things? No, I've realized this in ourselves. Things get a little different. You have to make adjustments, and that's totally normal. When things get tight, you have to do that, and all of us realize that. It's what sacrifice is. That's just part of it. But there's been a stark difference, and I even just thinking in what things were when I started here 15 years ago and what it is now. The home prices, just right down the street here, you could buy one of these houses for right at $100,000, just around the corner right here. Now, what did somebody tell me they were now? 260 to 300 plus for this same little house that was $100,000 15 years ago. What's going on? You better trust the Lord. Lean not in your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So as a Christian, in uncertainty, we can have great peace. We can have great joy. That's why what I'm sharing on Wednesday night is so imperative because the matters of the heart are the matters of eternity. The matters of the heart determine what's going to happen one day when you come home from the doctors and they say you've got stage four metastatic cancer and you've got six months to live or less or whatever it might be or stage two and it's metastasized and you might want to think about getting your affairs in order. How you deal with spiritually with your life right now before all that happens is going to determine how you handle that one day when you get that phone call because what we do realize is this is kind of a normal thing we realize around here. Nobody gets out alive. You hear what I'm saying? Everybody in this building one day is going to go 10-7, out of service, graveyard dead. You don't want to hear about that? I want to prepare us all for that time because it's the most important period of our history, time, and creation for us. Because being prepared for that is extremely important. And I don't want any person that ever sits in a pew or watches online to be unprepared for what I honestly know beyond a shadow of a doubt is going to happen one day. And Scripture says, it is appointed a man once to die and then to stand judgment. One of the worst things that you or I could ever do is believe that that's just, a, you know, that's just something people do to scare you into religion. I want to tell you, I ask you to seek truth out. That's what I want. I don't want you to believe it because I say it. 
I want you to get on your face before God and say, listen, if what he said is true, God, please give me the understanding of who you are, of God, the fact that you love me, the fact that Jesus died for me. I want to understand truth, God, because I do not want to face an uncertainty with the most important time period of my life, which will be the day that you breathe your last breath and stand in his presence. Your birth, that's nothing. That just happened. That's time and past. But guess what? What is most important is what happens with our eternity, that is. And that is dependent on what we do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why you're watching a man who was so caught in the law, Paul was ardent in his love for God, Old Testament, Old Covenant, defending the God of creation, he was completely ill-advised, wasn't he? Because under the new covenant, Jesus Christ had abolished the law. So what Paul was doing in trying to honor God was actually dishonoring him and rejecting Jesus Christ. When we see him on the road to Damascus, when he came to an understanding of truth, look at the passion with which Paul lives his life. He is faithful and runs it faithfully until the day that he breathes his last breath. And listen to verse 22 again, and then we'll, we'll finish up. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you'll hear him, he replied. And the third and final thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Let God move all the pieces into place. That hits more ladies. You guys like, uh, the, the, I've dealt with this more with, with, with our ladies Ladies like to, to, you want to keep things in order. You get, you want one, I want to put my stuff, I want to be orderly, I want to, I want to, you know, take the bull by the horns, I want things right in life. You know, whether it's my medicine cabinet, whether it's my makeup, whether it's my kids, the, the, the laundry. For those of you who battle control, I want to encourage you with something. Don't try to do God's job for them. And I know there's a lot of men that do this too. Don't try to help God do his job. God knows what he's doing. And if we will let God do what he's doing and not try to be God, just like with your kids sometimes, what do we think? You know, there, there's, there's got to be something I can say to change their mind right now because they're acting like a heathen. Any moms? Any, am I tracking with any moms? Amen. You know what I'm talking about. Yep, some of you raised two hands. You think that if you say something or you choke them till they just pass out and then they come back, that you can say, now see, you actually push them farther away from the truth. You got to let God do what God does. God's good at it. God will move those pieces in the place. Don't be a, a speed bump in that process. Because when they're going down the road at 150 miles an hour spiritually, and you put that speed bump up there, you could be the thing that causes them to completely self-destruct or to crash out. You could be the thing that actually in your desire to do the right thing pushes them farther away instead of being used by God to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. There comes a point in time, guys, girls, that we have to stop talking. And that's when we get on our faces before God. By the way, you should be on your face before God all along. But there comes a point where we can no longer say anything. It's time to be quiet and be still and know that he is God. Because God will honor 
our demonstration of faith. Well, Brother Jonathan, how would being quiet be a demonstration of faith? Well, what is faith? Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. When it's time for me to be quiet, what I've done is taken all the all of it, A-L-L, capital letters, I have removed all the control and my ability to try to control away from me because when I stop using words, that thing that we consider, that power of thinking will say the right thing so they'll come around, we now have to trust God for the rest of it. That is a place of weakness in our perspective. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 shows us that God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's why we boast in our weakness, infirmities, our persecutions, for when we are weak, he is strong. At my weakest time physically in my life is when I felt the closest with the Lord. I had the least amount of power over anything, but yet because I had in total faith yielded my everything to him, God gave me a peace, an overwhelming peace about what was from everybody around me saying, I don't know. They would say word for word, I don't know how you could do it. Someone said to me one time, right after Hurricane Katrina, they were getting ready to go to, to do a job somewhere. And a person saw me. They were getting ready to do something. They needed to borrow something that I had. So they came over, and I spent the day out there in my wheelchair with them. And one of the people said to me, goes, man, I don't know how you, because they knew me before I got hurt. And they said, I don't know how you do this. And I said, hey, I'll tell you how I do it. It's because of God. And if it wasn't for the Lord, I could not do this. And I said, there's no greater time for you when you're in your strength to give your life to the Lord because God will carry you. And if you ever face anything like this, you'll have him and you won't feel any despair. And that person just looked at me and said, I, I, there's just no way I could do it. It wasn't three months later and that person was paralyzed from the neck down. A very person that said I could not do that was paralyzed to an accident riding a bicycle from the neck down. I'll never forget that conversation. I actually went to the hospital to talk to the person, but there was no way to talk to him at that point, and he ended up passing away. But I'll never, ever, ever forget that conversation because we never know. We're the one that might be going through a valley or an affliction at that time, and that person that's standing in front of us could go through something 10 times worse a day later, for that matter. That's why it's so important for us when, we, when we're talking with people to be transparent about who you are, why you are, your battles, your struggles, be honest with people. Tell them that God's your only hope if that's the truth of your life and that, hey, oh, you, you, man, you're really handling it well. I want to tell you why I'm handling it well because God is my everything. And if it wasn't for him, I, I don't have it together. Let me just tell you that. Tell people that. Because a lot of times the world sees and thinks that we've got it together. We don't have it together. We have a God that's got it together. The same way with Paul right here. Paul doesn't have it together. He serves a God that's got it together, a God that'll never leave him, never forsake him, and he knows that as reality. He knows that with faith beyond a shadow of a doubt. That is truth. And that doesn't change. Let God move all the pieces in the place this morning. And I'll, I'll ask you in closing, are you letting God move the pieces in the place? Or maybe 
You've had this ungodly desire for control to control the things in your life, my life. And I'm going to tell you it's sinful. This is the hard part. God knows what he has to do to take control from us if that's the thing that's preventing us from doing what we're supposed to do. I want to encourage all of you this morning. Don't make God take it from you. Don't make God take the control from you. Don't make God take whatever's your God from you this morning. Whatever that thing in your life that you're using as the excuse not to do what you should do, don't let that be taken by force this morning. Paul was all in. Paul didn't lose his life. Paul gave his life in Rome for the gospel. You often think, you know, they took someone's life. No, Stephen? Stephen gave his life for truth, for the gospel. He gave his life to demonstrate to those people that he was no fool who gave what he could not keep, the game what he could not lose. He gave the temporary in view of the eternal. This morning, I hope that's where you're at. If not, I want to encourage you to get to the place of obedience and the place for God's love, his power, his presence to flood you. God will change your life. God will change your family. God will change the subsequent generations coming after you. But if you're in the midst of God's ability to do that, he's got to get us to the place where we can be used. And the refiner's fire is where he refines us and prepares us for the next steps. And God knows what right now needs to be done. We can do it willingly or we can allow him to take it by force if he has to. This morning, willingly lay down whatever it is in your life that's preventing you. Remember, God will bring them. Is your heart desiring this morning to let God use you as a lighthouse, as a beacon, as a mirror reflecting his glory? If that's the case, just trust him and rest in him and know God's going to bring them. Just like he did with Paul, God will bring them to you. Come. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.